You're listening to Let's Talk AI. Okay, so welcome to our podcast series, Let's Talk AI. Our goal of this series is to learn more about the people behind this rapidly growing area of AI. I'm the host, Harold Godwin, Managing Director for Waterloo AI, and today's guest is Aninya Sen, who is a professor of economics here at the University of Waterloo. So, welcome, Aninya. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, this is great to have you here today. Um, and you know what? We're just going to launch right in with the tough questions and make you sweat a little bit here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, the first basically is to... You know, let's give it an idea here. Can you share with us your journey? How did, how did this pathway start? And, and then how did you get into the AI? Sure, uh, my pleasure. I did, um, I did my undergraduate master's and my PhD in economics because I was really interested in how uh, individuals make their decisions and how the marketplace and how government regulation impacts these type of choice choices. So. For my doctoral dissertation, I looked at a very unconventional topic. I looked at the effects of um, uh, of stricter drinking and driving laws on uh, traffic fatalities in Canada. And I can tell you that I really wish I had AI then because my <laughs> dissertation consisted of data collection, going to the library, uh, law library at the University of Toronto, and spending months going through volumes and looking at the evolution of laws. So in today's world, that's pretty archaic because I could have just written an algorithm to scoop up all this information. But uh, to give you that type of context is that I've always fascinated by uh, understanding how the marketplace and how government policies affect individual behavior. So after my dissertation, I worked in the government in industry, what was then Industry Canada for about a year and a half, and then I got the offer to come to Waterloo. And then I started on a journey of um, trying to understand the effects of uh, cigarette taxes on um, smoking, um, trying to understand questions that you know, what is the effect of the minimum wage on poverty or labor force participation. So there's always a central um, there's always a central focus on understanding the effects of government in society. And and then it came to a point that, um, it, well, each academic uh, looks to equip themselves with new tools which fit their research. And uh, being a professor, not many people perhaps realize this, but uh, many professors engage in a journey of lifelong learning. Uh, because we want to teach our students new tools and methods. And we also want to equip ourselves with new knowledge that we can use in our research. And that's how I came to use um, AI methods in my research and start teaching some basic AI methods to uh, my students. Because I reached a point where the questions I was interested in, I realized that the statistical knowledge which I have, I didn't have the right uh, tools to analyze the questions as the way they should. And I realized that AI tools actually order, um, offered me a more diverse portfolio 
to really get at the questions I've always been interested in, but would much but that would yield much more refined insights. So that was kind of a brief background on um, on my uh, on my research interests and how I came to become aware and use AI in my research and teaching. So, so you mentioned your master's PhD. Where did you do those at? Sure, my master's were was in uh, Concordia University in Montreal, and my PhD was at the University of Toronto. Oh, excellent, excellent. So you talk about your area of focus. Can we do a little deeper dive in there and areas that you're working on, you know, recently or right now, and uh, just understand, you know, what where you're at today? Sure, and, and, and this is, gives me an opportunity, kind of, to bring in how I use AI in my research, which I hope would be, which I hope will be informative and uh, give people a better insight of. Um, the transition to the, these type of uh, tools and methods. So uh, a good example is research which I've conducted with a couple of other uh, Waterloo AI members, one of them being Plinio Morita at the School of uh, Public Health and Systems here in Waterloo. And when COVID started, we were really interested in understanding why COVID cases were really high in some geographies and low in other geographies. And what we decided to do is we decided to use U.S. data because uh, first the data there are more available, but you also have more geographic, uh, geographic areas to study. And what I was interested in is understanding what the effects of uh, socioeconomic variables are on the spread of the disease. Um, if, if you remember early on in the pandemic, um, there was a belief that areas which had um, a lower socioeconomic status, maybe lower household income, or a higher incidence of new immigrants or people who are from uh, disadvantaged, um, who are who are disadvantaged in some way, um, in terms of access to resources, um, they couldn't quite cushion themselves well enough from the spread of the disease. They're more vulnerable, and so the question is that how do you estimate the effects of those factors, whether it's poverty the incidence of visible minorities, immigrants, um, use of public transit. How do you estimate the effects of that on the spread of the disease? Because what the challenge was is that we had daily data on COVID cases and deaths across the United States for um, uh, census areas. But the problem is, is that the socioeconomic data were fixed over time because the census uh, is conducted every five years. So think of, you know, the simplest um, manifestation of this problem. You have a kind of mathematical function where the dependent variable is the number of daily cases. And on the right-hand side, you put in factors which you think would explain the spread of the disease. Well, the problem here is that the right-hand variables are fixed. They're not varying over time. They're constant. So there is a kind of um, disconnect between what we want to explain and what we can explain it with. And so conventional methods and statistics don't really address that. On the other hand, in AI, you have... Um, AI, of course, is incredibly complex, but most people uh, associate... AI with machine learning now, uh, for better or worse. Um, and 
with machine learning, an example of machine learning, a specific algorithm is called clustering. And what we can do with clustering is that we have a bunch of variables and then we just throw in the algorithm and what the algorithm does is that it helps us cluster, in this case, geographic areas together which share some common characteristics. So what we did is that we, the first question which we wanted to do, uh, or the first point is that we constructed a behavioral model, right? This is coming from trying to integrate our background in the social sciences and behavioral theories with these complex statistical methods. So what we did is that the we we constructed a model which had the notion that look the spread of the disease has to be correlated with mobility with how much people move around okay now where could we get mobility data so we are fortunate that google mobility google had mobility data which they constructed based on their google maps and were all anonymized and aggregated at the census level so using our algorithm uh, of clustering, we found that when we looked at a majority of census geographic areas in the United States, we could actually segregate them in uh, around five area, in around five clusters. And each cluster was distinguished by a higher level of mobility, right? Cluster five was where people were the most mobile and cluster one were the least mobile. And then what we did is we looked at the importance of socioeconomic variables in each of these clusters. So you might recall that there was some discussion and allegations that during the U.S. President elections, presidential elections, that COVID cases were spreading a lot, especially where Republicans uh, dominated um, these geographic areas, like in areas which had voted for Trump in 2016. And so was that true? And with these methods, we could get at that. And what we found in our research after the clustering is that when we looked at each of these five different clusters, we found that the clusters with the highest mobility, where people were moving around in stores, grocery stores, um, in retail stores, and coincidentally, these are the ones with the least amount of regulations. These are the ones which really didn't have stay-at-home orders. What we found is that these were also the clusters which had voted for Trump in 2016 and were populated by a demographic that was mainly white and older, but also with who were white and less educated. So, so this me, sort can, of can I jump in with a yeah, question? Carry on. Okay, sure. so a question I have for you then is, you know, there was so much focus on the six foot, you know, proximity, be, you know, two, you know, two arms, legs away, etc. So based on everything you've learned, then is the, you know, is proximity, again, social trends, you know, public transit and things like that, where you're forced to, you know, be forced in a scenario where you're less than six feet. Is that somehow related then to like mobility? Is it about, because just moving around, I can't see being the issues. It's probably proximity. How did that work in there? 
No, that's a really great question. So um, with the Google data, you have different types of mobility. And so the mobility we looked at were in uh, retail stores and grocery stores and pharmacies, right? Places where it's difficult really to have six foot, right? So I can't definitively answer what the effect of um, having six foot uh, restrictions are, but what the data allows us to do is allows us to look at different types of mobility at different venues, right? Um, and uh, we found that uh, the variables, the mobility variables which had the biggest pop were the mobility at retail stores and work. Work was really important. And so when you looked at these types of mobilities and you looked at counties which had the highest level of mobilities, what you found that um, beginning in October, continuing on to the presidential elections in December, you found that the counties which are mainly Democratic in the 2016 election, their COVID, daily COVID cases and deaths were much lower. And it's really insightful to see the gap were much lower than the counties which voted Republican for the Republican candidate in 2016. Like the spread between them was amazing. So that's an example of the type of research which I do with AI-based methods. And the implications for society, and you touched upon this, Harold, is that first, look, mobility matters, right? And if you think of restrictions, then what we do know from this analysis that if you have some type of restrictions on retail, um, if you have some type of restrictions on um, work mobility, and it's more like uh, closures, right? That not, not even being able to go there. Um, that that's really does help. But the other point is that um, political, well, this is true in the United States, um, political acceptance of these type of regulations are pretty paramount. If you look, I also did a similar uh, analysis of Canadian data. And what you found, what, what we find out there is that a lot of these regulations worked, mask mandates worked, um, uh, restrictions on uh, business operations, on restaurants, um, on retail stores, they all helped in curbing the spread of the disease. But what's interesting is that in Canada, there is also a much more widespread acceptance of abiding by such restrictive regulations, which affect, which uh, in the end, um, slowed the spread of disease but that was not the case in the United States what we found is the spread was really impacted by political affiliation as well so this looks like this I, I hate the analogy but the perfect storm of health and economics overlapping you know where when you shut all these venues down well wait a second here the economy still has to go on so there was so much negative press about you know with all these closures and things, but from what I'm hearing is this was really right on, on point for what had to be done. That's, that's a really good point. Now, we didn't do a cost-benefit analysis of the economic repercussions, which are so significant, and that's work yet to be done. But just in terms of resting the disease, I mean, there's no question that based on this analysis and on many other papers, restrictions work. Excellent. Well, this is great. So 
so you talk, you touched on just a topic there. So what's the future? What's the next step on this kind of research? Where are we going to go with this? I'm, I, I feel really privileged now because being at Waterloo AI, it's, I just feel that I, I'm, I have such an ocean of and wealth of talent whom I can work with. So this is a right, uh, uh, right timing for me. And um, because you have, as you know very well, Harold, we have incredible researchers who do the theory um, behind the scenes and the construction of the tools, and it affords me to use these tools and uh, test them. So in terms of specific uh, future research, what uh, I am continuing my work on COVID, but on, uh, on another project, we actually have a research grant which Waterloo AI helped us uh, get, where we managed to get mobile data from a provider in the United States. And it's fascinating because um, what happens is that the data basically consists of very frequent uploads by cell phone subscribers in different countries in the world. And in response to questions such as that, how happy are you? What do you think of your government? Um, what do you think of your access to basic resources? Are you What do you think the level of corruption is? So on and so forth. And so you get a very basic questions on the living conditions of people and their mental health. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to take these hundreds of questions and trying to understand which of these questions and therefore the answers explain the incidence of civil protests across the world, right? Like when you think of that tipping point, why do people go out on the streets and protest? What makes them? Um, what are the most important factors? That's what we're studying just now. And that's where AI comes in because again, using conventional statistical models, we have hundreds of possible factors that could explain why we see protests in an area. Trying to kind of narrow down which are the most important factors is what we can do with AI tools. Well, this is a, a, a really open-minded approach, it sounds like. Instead of starting with a hard hypothesis and trying to prove it, you're going with a, let's learn from the data and then fine tune from there. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And that's uh, that's very interesting the way you brought it up because you know, the way we're trained as researchers is you start off with a hypothesis, but now in a sense, data sense, data science is turning it on its head that why do we even have to have any hypotheses? Let's just see what's there in the data. Let's visualize it. And let's learn from that. So it's, it's interesting to see how the mindset of researchers is changing in that respect. Well, that's fascinating. So I'm going to come back to something you mentioned right back at the beginning your commitment to lifelong learning. I understand you've just launched a new Wattspeed course. What's that all about? So um, I really believe that government and people interested in public policy have not been served as well by the data revolution as um, people in the private sector. I mean, obviously there's a profit motive out there. Uh, many private sector companies feel that there's a lot of money to be made and, and, and insights as also from mining their large data sets. But there's so much governments can do with training in, in with 
in uh, statistics, training, and understanding how to interpret the data. And that's the first step before you do machine learning. So what I've done with um, Wattspeed is we've constructed a three-course certificate in um, data insights, database behavioral insights. And the idea is that, look, maybe you're a lifelong learner and you want to get into machine learning and AI, but guess what? You can't do that unless you have some fundamental foundation in statistics. So the way we set up this course is to for anyone who has a limited background in statistics but wants to learn, and we guide them through three courses. And by the end of the three courses, um, they have training in coding in Python and R, which are kind of the most popular software languages for machine learning and AI. But more importantly, they, are un they have an understanding of how to take these complex statistical results and translate them to a non-technical audience and use them in policy analysis. So this prepares them well. If they want to take future training in um, AI or machine learning courses, but that's what the uh, certificate is about. Basic data analysis, data visualization, and trying to extract behavioral insights from your results. Excellent. Well, you know, there's a common theme I'm hearing throughout is data, data, data. So I want to just, you know, dive into that one a little bit because you use the term their data. Companies want to, you know, harvest their data. Do you see that is, is, is there an issue there or is it the fact they have to find a way to share this data so we can all learn from it and grow c together? Talk to us more about what your insights there or thoughts on how, you know, the data going forward. I agree with you, uh, Harold, and that is such a great point. Um, I, I think, and this is another strand of my research, where I'm trying to come up with economic models of uh, data sharing. So, you know, the, the point being is that this is something which we learned from the pandemic. That, and the best example I could give you is what we just spoke earlier on, uh, my, my research using Google mobility data. So I could come at these, or I could arrive at these important, which I view to be important insights, only because Google made mobility data available at the census level, at certain census geographic levels in the United States on a daily basis, as they've do, as they are been doing for many countries around the world. So that was great. Um, that is really um, important for Google to do, and we all appreciate that. But it shows that the amounts of data being collected by these uh, large companies, these social media platforms, also can be used very productively for research. And the question is that how can we release some of their data, whether it's Google, Facebook, or Instagram, that researchers can study, uh, use the data to study some very in, uh, important questions. Maybe one model is just for the government to come in and set up a data market and uh, to buy huge clumps of anonyma, properly anonymized data that then can be made accessible to public policy researchers. We're not there yet, but that's where the conversation should be. I think that's a topic for a whole nother podcast to come back to this uh, data markets. Um, you know, maybe what we'll do is we'll get yourself and one or two other, we'll do a bit of a round table to discuss this. That's fascinating. So, uh, 
you know, we're, we're almost uh, towards the end here. Any final thoughts or things you'd like to share about uh, AI and, and where we're going collectively? I think that the use, the evolution of AI tools and more important to uh, make them available in relatively uh, in a relatively simple manner that can be used by researchers and even myself where I don't have a deep data science background or mathematical background but I have a sufficient background that I can use these tools um, I, I think it's important um, that's being done uh, when you have these complex research being done it's often distilled very quickly in languages like Python and R and that's great because there's such an open community about this so in terms of the availability of tools that's going well but I think my concern is um, with respect to what research should be done so for example again going back to large companies who collect such great data um, th think that you're a student right and you've always wanted to join Google or Facebook or a cool startup. And this is relevant to many of the students who are coming out from Waterloo. Now, just because you have access to data doesn't mean you should use it. You should be very careful of the type of analysis you are doing. So that ethical mindset of what can be done with data, uh, who in your company can access them, for what purpose, and when you're constructing algorithms. Um, are the algorithms truly reflective or are they biased? And what I'm alluding to is a very well-known example that you know, you have financial companies in the past which use algorithms to predict the likelihood of success of a business, right? So, you know, if you feed data in, historical data, and you use gender as an explanatory variable that this person's a woman, you'll automatically find that businesses which are proposed by women are less likely to succeed. And then that becomes policy. But that is wrong policy because the fact is historically a lot of women didn't for a variety of factors perhaps did not come forward to try to launch their business due to systemic uh, institutional systemic institutional barriers right and so just a mundane application of an AI tool would then lead to a policy which says you should not lend to a woman and this is very well established in the literature right so I think that as society as universities are progressing forward in data science it's so key to have these type of courses in ethics in an understanding of human behavior to make sure that the results you're getting are not being implemented for the wrong reasons or for the wrong policies Excellent. Well, that's a great a great note to finish our chat today. I just want to thank you for joining us today on Let's Talk AI and uh, and wish you all the best in your future research. Thank you so much. It is really a pleasure to be on your podcast and speak today. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.